Hello and welcome to the Yellow Chair Collective. We are a psychotherapy practice based in Los Angeles. My name is Jack Lamb. I use they, them pronouns, and I am an outreach coordinator as well as an associate therapist here at Yellow Chair. So since we're focusing this season on relationships, we could not go without making an episode about couples therapy. And if it's really all about communication, because I think we hear it a lot, right? That people have trouble communicating in their relationships. And I've always really wondered, is it really all just about communication? So today I am really, really excited to talk to Jesse Lee, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and also my clinical supervisor. She is going to talk to us about her experiences being a couples therapist, becoming a couples therapist, and the kind of work that she does and that maybe even couples can expect to see in couples therapy context. So welcome, Jesse. Thank you for being here today. Hi, Jack. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. So maybe we can start with telling us a little bit about you know who you are and maybe how you came into the work of couples therapy. So yeah, I am a clinical supervisor and couples therapy at Yellow Chair and couples work has always been one of my main interests. And in the past 10 years of my career, I have been able to work at many different settings and different populations, different mental health needs. And couples therapy remains to be one of my main interests. I do remember us talking about kind of how you've worked for many years in different settings and different clientele, but you've been doing mainly couples therapy and only couples therapy in the past two years. What kind of changed for you in that you wanted to specifically focus on just couples or like what drew you to this work specifically? I think couples work is very, very fascinating. You're working with two people in the room rather than just one. It's more challenging, but I think the work is very rewarding. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that I think about right in terms of a couples therapy session is how different the dynamic is when you have two people in the room versus just you and the client as a therapist, right? And I guess when you think about it being rewarding, is there something that like you come from or that you feel like is specifically rewarding for you? I mean, I'm kind of curious where this interest started, right? Like doing couples work. To share a little bit like of my personal story, um, where where the interest started, I've always wanted to be a therapist, but then I guess like the interest in couples work kind of started in high school. I had these two friends that I have been friends since high school and they started dating in high school and they would always argue <laughs> and like because we hang out a lot. So they would always argue in front of me and I would just find that kind of like communication, miscommunication, very fascinating. One point they just started turned to me and asked like, Jesse, what do you think? Who's right? Who's wrong? And that kind of became a thing. So whenever they would have an argument, it would be either in person or through the phone, would have a mini session and I would hear from <laughs> and you know to get both perspectives and help them clarify things so they can understand each other better and also point out some of things that I see like um, you know strengths and weaknesses in terms of the communication Mm -hmm. and that lasted a while and obviously I didn't have the training and the skills back then so they kept arguing and we kept having mini sessions. (laughs) this is very interesting like you know maybe I can do this for work 
Okay. That's really funny that it started with your friends fighting and you being in the middle of it. And as you said, like maybe you didn't have the tools or the knowledge for doing that work then, but how did it kind of happen that you were usually in between or started doing like this mediation between your friends? I guess because like I knew both equally well and they trusted me enough to kind of seek out my thoughts and feelings on what's going on. So yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I think of sometimes when I think about couples therapy, as well as, you know, what I've heard of people's fears of couples therapy is that, oh, you're bringing in this third person to just kind of tell me I'm wrong, or I want to bring in this third person to tell my partner they're wrong, (laughs) right? A lot of the times it feels like when it comes to conflict, it's like this, who's right? Who should we go with, right? Whose decision should we kind of follow? You've kind of mentioned that, you know, when, when couples therapy comes to mind, it feels like conflict, right? Like it's always like, oh, there's a conflict. So we need to go to couples therapy. So I'm kind of curious, right? Like in terms of what you've seen as some of the common you know, reasons or challenges that people come to you for when they come for couples therapy. Yeah, so it's not all about the conflicts. Um, different couples come in with different needs. For example, premarital counseling is for couples who are you know, ready to get into the next chapter of their life. And so they come in and kind of talk about what are the expectations? Did it change You know, from being like boyfriend, girlfriends to you know, husbands and wives? So that they can talk about that part and also kind of set some ground rules so they can clearly understand what the other person's boundary is, what not to do, what to do. And also it's a safe space for couples who are getting married to talk about some quite sensitive topics, such as like finance, are they going to have children, how many, how to discipline, how like they will interact with in-laws, how frequent. So these will be some of the topics that we discuss in premarital counseling in a safe space. Okay. I guess when I think about couples therapy and when you mentioned like conflict and different needs, I think about like, oh, is the goal to like keep a relationship together or is the goal to figure out like what each person wants and what if it's different? (laughs) You know, I think there's also that fear of like, oh, is this really going to help my relationship or is it going to not, (laughs) right? Is it going to fall apart after I start couples therapy? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. Actually, like in one of the like housekeeping things that I talked to couples in the first intake session is that yes, couples therapy, there are all the benefits, you know, improve communication, strengthen relationship, but there's also the risk because some couples through couples therapy, they might find out, you know, this is not working. We have tried, we have put an effort. So like, it's not the best idea for us to stay together. So I think like that goes back to earlier when I talked about different couples have different needs for couples therapy, because I have worked with couples who were at the end stage of their relationship. They came in and utilized the space to kind of reflect on like this chapter of their lives and what they have learned as an individual and also as a partner in a relationship. And they can kind of have some closure with each other, with the relationship, and they can go on their separate ways. Wow. That must be also really emotional to sit through, I imagine, being in couples therapy just to figure out how to separate. I never even thought about that because, you know, like I think with most people, when I think about couples therapy, it's like, oh, how do we stay together? Not how do we 
go our separate way. <laughs> you know, I think one of the things that I think of, it sounds like, you know, you've done couples therapy for a lot of people in very different stages of their relationship. You've mentioned premarital counseling, you've mentioned separation. And I wonder, like, when do you think is a good time for couples to start couples counseling or to start considering couples counseling? That's a very good question. Like, I don't have an answer. Like, that's, oh, exactly this point. You should get couples counseling because different stages have different needs. So it really depends on what stage you're in with your partner and how much do you want to do in terms of prevention? Like, you know, discussing the rules and expectations or intervention, like when things happened kind of out of control, you want some help. Yeah, and I think as you're talking about this, I remember one thing that we discussed was kind of how, in general, we don't get a lot of education or learning about how to be in a relationship, right? Like what we want out of a relationship and how to navigate things. And one of the things actually that comes to mind for me right now is thinking about, you know, even in my individual therapy sessions, I hear a lot of discussion or questioning of whether a relationship is healthy or unhealthy. And there's, of course, a lot of infographics and a lot of like talk now about like, oh, that's a toxic relationship versus not a toxic relationship. And I wonder, I'm curious if you've ever kind of been confronted with that in your couple's counseling sessions, where if ever a client has asked, this is toxic, right? Or this is not healthy, right? And I wonder, like, how do you respond to those kind of questions, right? Because it's kind of like putting you in a spot. It's almost as if asking you, like, should we break up? Should we stay together? Is this okay? Is this not okay? This might sound a very, like, thing that therapists would say, but then I don't have the answer. Like, you ask this question, like, I think you have the answer. Do you think it's unhealthy? Do you think it's toxic? Do you want to continue? Like, I think I might do some psychoeducation on what a healthy relationship looks like, you know, communication. But at the end of the day, I think like it's about the person who's asking the question. And I think kind of going back to them and explore a little bit more because the couples therapy is not about me. It's about this couple. So what does this person who's asking the question think? And then what does the partner who's sitting there listening to this question think? So I think that process is more meaningful than just me saying like, it's a toxic relationship. It's a healthy relationship. I think what you've highlighted is how personal, right? Like what a healthy or unhealthy relationship is. And it's almost as if like, as you said, right, there's some baselines of what a healthy relationship is, right? You can talk about that, but it seems like beyond that, it's more so like, what do they think? The people in the relationship think. Yes. And that's such a valuable experience to be able to have a space to reflect on that because I think of how binary sometimes, right? Like people think of healthy versus unhealthy relationships, right? I've seen a lot of infographics where they're like, oh, healthy relationship means this and unhealthy relationship means this, right? And that really gets confusing because, you know, sometimes I see these infographics about like, oh, if your partner is ignoring you or if your partner doesn't know how to validate your feelings that's unhealthy and I'm like oh you know that I think it gets that question right for people's heads I've definitely seen a lot of my clients come to me too to be like you know I know I like these things about them but there's also these like red flags right like we talk about that a lot recently so it's kind of like oh do I stay do I go I I feel like maybe this is unhealthy because I've heard that this is unhealthy yeah there is so much information out there about you know these topics and I'm not saying those information is like all wrong it's more like you really have to take it as a reference like oh these are the information but how does it apply to me and 
who I am and who my partner is because it's very personal, like you said. Don't just you know look at something on TikTok and that oh this definition of toxic relationship. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think a lot of relationships that we see in the media and on TikTok, right, like or anywhere, it seems to be like very portrayed in. Extremes, right? Either it's a super healthy relationship, everything always goes really well, or it's a super toxic relationship where the abuse is so apparent and so like in your face, right? And you clearly know it's wrong, but it's harder to kind of determine, or sometimes it gets really confusing when it's like the gray area, which is I feel like most of the time in like real world relationships. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about this because you were saying, I guess you were talking about different reasons people come to therapy to talk about really, really. Difficult things, and I wonder if you can kind of give us some examples about like what are some really difficult things that you've seen people maybe struggle with talking about regularly, and could use couples therapy to help talk about. There have been so many difficult sessions, but I think one case I can share: this couple came in to kind of need help on managing the aftermath of infidelity. And because they came into therapy pretty soon after that, so everything, all the emotions were still very raw, like the pain, the guilt, the betrayal. So even through the screen, I could feel like how painful it was for this couple who like loved each other very, very much. So it took some time, um, a lot of courage, a lot of effort to. Get to a place. I wouldn't say like to move on, and it's also unrealistic to say like, oh, go back to like before before this thing happened.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like getting to a place to have a sense of hope that this will not be forever. This is temporary. With the work that we're putting into each other, that there's hope. Wow! And as you're talking about that case specifically, it, I think there's so much messaging about what it means. For a person, if they stay with someone who has been unfaithful, and to really sit in a session for two people who love each other and find out what it means and how to move forward, how to kind of grow or change this relationship, feels so difficult. Yeah, that's why I said like it took them a lot of courage to do the work. I'm sure those like 50 minutes, one hour sessions fell forever to both of them, but. They did it. They really stay there、um, and listen to each other and be vulnerable, be open with each other. And I, I know that's a big thing, right? In couples therapy, or so I've heard, right? Communication, listening to each other, accepting the perspective of a different person. But I really wonder, kind of, is it really, you know, all about communication? How much of it is? Down to communication, and is there other things that kind of usually impact the quality of a relationship? It is communication. It is the number one thing when it comes to couples therapy. I think once in a while we have like new terms to、uh, describe it, new ways to navigate it, but it's communication. And I think that's because communication is not just two people like you know talking to each other. It's so much more. It's their personalities, it's their family background, educational background, career path, cultural differences. Like the list goes on and on. 
in order to really understand each other well and be okay, yeah, just be open with all these different factors in the room. Because in order to be effectively communicating with each other, understanding each other, have empathy for each other, then also with all these factors in the room, it's not easy. This is like the bubble bursting where I was like, ah, oh, maybe there's more than communication, but it sounds like it is. It is just communication, but it's not just communication. It sounds like what you're saying. And communication encapsulates, involves so many things. And I wonder what are some ways that you usually work with couples to kind of improve their communication? One exercise that I do with all of my couples is that they would face, face each other and hug each other. And then like they stay in the hug, but then they take turns to describe what they see in the room. So this person can see the door, the window, and then the other person can see the light, whatever on their side. And after they do that, I have them, you know, face toward me again. And I talk about the purpose of this exercise. It's to help the couple just feel it, see it, that even they're in the same room, and so intimate, like holding each other, they see different things. Because they see different things, the only way to find out is to actively listen to each other. That's the only way to find out. That's the perspective. Like, how can you understand each other's perspective? The only way is to listen to each other. I think that exercise has been quite helpful. That's why I do it with um, all of my couples. Yeah, no, I I love that. Even because I I think one thing, as I've mentioned, right, Jessie is my clinical supervisor. And one thing that I love about Jessie and how she works is these analogies or metaphors, right, that you use a lot of the times. And it sounds like this is such a beautiful one, right? Like you're describing this couple hugging. They're in this situation together, but they're almost as if experiencing completely different things or different sides of a thing. And how they could really come together is just this communication and this listening to each other. Wow. I'm going to like sit with it because I think that's so powerful to think about, right? Like the way that even as a couple, as you said, this intimate unit moving through things together, they're experiencing very different things. So how do you help them kind of communicate that? And how do you help them listen? If they want to engage in to the hug, like every time after an argument, like that would work, but then it's kind of unrealistic to ask them to do so. So uh, some of the kind of specific skills that I would give to my clients, it's very, very simple, very, very basic, but very, very hard to remember to do it when you are, especially during a heated moment. First thing is take turns talking, like don't interrupt each other. Like actively listen to the other person as they tell you their thoughts and feelings rather than thinking about what I'm going to say to your... Yes, it's very hard when it's heated. (laughs) Yeah, so I think some couples, they practice holding a pen. Like when I hold this pen, it's my turn to talk. And after I talk, then you tell me what you have heard and I will let you know if you have heard me correctly. That's the next step. And then after this person is done, they give the pen to their partner and it's the partner's turn to share what their thoughts and feelings are. And this partner will do the same thing, you know, actively listen and then at the end, tell them what they have heard and if they have heard that their partner right. Oh, oh my God. You know, as you're talking about that, yes, you're right. It seems so simple. It sounds very easy, but as I'm imagining this scenario and I'm thinking about like, if I'm really angry, (laughs) 
it would be so difficult for me. I'd be like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I want to listen, but you've had the pen for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and I think that's too long. <laughs> I see. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I think just like many skills and exercises, like we can talk about the barriers of doing these exercises. So if during that moment, it's hard to do the active listening, maybe you guys can go separate ways for 10, 15 minutes to, you know, drink a cold beverage, to take a quick shower and then do some grounding exercises, then come back. Then maybe at that point, it's easier to do the active listening skills. Okay. So there are ways that you still get to work with that and figure out how to overcome this. And, you know, I think one of the things that I'm thinking about too, as you're talking about like any heated and arguments, conflict, I wonder since, you know, we are Asian and Asian American focused practice, I wonder if you've noticed any kind of trends or patterns in terms of Asian or Asian American couples and what they come in with and what they have difficulty kind of resolving or talking about. Number one, it's not necessarily about, you know, the communication and what the, what's happening in session. It's what's happening before. That is, you know, since mental health services, therapy is still not as widely accepted in Asian American communities. When it comes to couples therapy, it involves two people. So sometimes one partner will really want to have couples therapy and then they just have a very difficult time convincing their partner like this can work let's try i have had so many consultation calls where the partner will be telling me like i i think this will really help but my partner is just not interested i don't know how to convince them you know it happens quite often and usually during those cases i would just validate and normalize this and then maybe give them some like information on how to explain to the partner what couples therapy is kind of destigmatize um, therapy and maybe that way the partner can change their mind yeah no I completely hear that because just the other day one of my friends was talking to me about entering couples therapy and I think I caught them saying yeah I'm in couples therapy for them and I'm like for them as in for their partner right and I was like um I, I don't know if that's how couples therapy works if it's just for one person I think it's more yeah. I I mean I'm under the impression it's like it's for their relationship right like how can you do couples therapy if there's no buy-in from both parties yeah you're right um it's for the unit and I have learned this like analogy from others um, but then I use it a lot in my work it's couples therapy a relationship is a dance so it's not just one person's fault like it's how you dance with each other like you stepping on to each other's toes like so it's not just one person both partners have to be engaged be putting an effort in order to have a better dance a smoother dance yeah and I think one of the things that I think of too is kind of like sometimes there's this impression of like I'm so good at dancing, you know, I'm amazing at dancing and you're terrible at dancing. Like we need to go to couples therapy because you need to learn how to dance. And I wonder like how you, if you've seen this and how do you approach this? Because it's also very similar to the situation you ta you're talking about, right? Like one person really wants to be in therapy and another doesn't. <laughs> I think that because that happens like quite often. <laughs> um, I would approach this in a way that, you know, Yes, you might be really good at dancing. But what does your partner think? Does your partner think you're good at dancing? Oh. And like, 
I'm sure, well, in much like gentle ways of this. But no, way, that's true. You're right. <laughs> just, you know, because you think you're good at dancing is not all because you're not in a relationship with yourself. You're in a relationship with another person. And maybe since you're so good with your dancing moves, help your partner become better at this dance. And I think like that way, you guys can have a good relationship together, not just one person feeling that, oh, I've done everything right, nothing wrong. Yeah, no, I'm sitting with that quote of, you might be very good at dancing, but you're not dancing with yourself. (laughs) Right, because you're choosing, right, to dance with this person. Yeah. It's not productive, right, to kind of continue staying in this position of like, I'm a better dancer, you're not a good dancer, because that doesn't really help the relationship. Maybe I'm feeling personally attacked. That's why it's kind of like hitting. (laughs) Going back, I think, to like Asian and Asian-American couples kind of seeking therapy. So one of the things you've mentioned as a barrier, maybe like stigma or, you know, one party being more interested than another. But once, you know, maybe they do start therapy or they are in the room, what are some things that I guess you've seen in terms of common challenges, issues or topics that they address? Yeah, so the second challenge I was thinking about is that it's not exclusive for Asian Americans in couples therapy, Mm -hmm. but because of the immigration history, experiences, assimilation, acculturation, racism, like the list goes on and on, all these things add an extra layer of complexity to this challenge. And that is in all couples work, I try to implement this part where Each partner will reflect and process about what their thoughts and feelings are on their parents' relationship or any like significant adults in their lives relationship. Because inevitably, what we see growing up, like, you know, happening around us have a significant impact on who we are as an individual and who we are as a partner in a relationship. So that little intervention is for each partner to, you know, gain more understanding where some of the behaviors might came from or some of the values and understanding what one should do in the relationship came from. And I think the other purpose for this intervention is so the partners can have more understanding about each other, like empathy for each other, because, oh, this is how they learn to be a partner. So, kind of not take it personally that much. I think that creates more empathy and more willingness to help each other out. Yeah, I find that so beautiful in a sense too, in that sometimes you want to get to be closer to your partner and you want to understand your partner better, but you don't really know where to start or where to go, right? It's kind of like you don't know what you don't know, right? And having this couple's therapist, as you were talking about these interventions that kind of help deepen this understanding of what your partner's background is and where they're coming from and why they view the relationship in ways that they do. And that kind of brings me to another question that I feel like is very common. And this may be a little bit of a curveball, but Mm -hmm. this feeling that I've heard a lot of my friends who are in relationships kind of describe of like bumping up against the wall of like, oh, I feel like you know, there's not as much excitement anymore in our relationship. Everything feels very routine. It feels very like dull. I don't know if this is supposed to be what it's supposed to feel like. I don't even know if I feel love. It's more so 
they're just there. And maybe there's this longing for like, oh, I wish things were back where they were when we used to feel so much desire and excitement and passion and even sexual attraction to each other, right? All of that is now gone. So I guess I'm wondering, is this something that you see a lot? And also like, what kind of remedies or how would you kind of go about working with this issue? Yeah, it's very common amongst couples because there's the kind of infatuation honeymoon period when Mm. two people fall in love and they just want to please each other. They want to spend a lot of time and effort on each other. But then as they, their relationship kind of continues, that fire kind of die down a little bit by a little bit. And then to a point things are just like dull. But then like I try to explain to couples, like it's a natural progression, like, you know, for a relationship, but it's not like the end of the relationship. It's, you might have to do more things for each other. Like put in more effort. Things are not as naturally done anymore. It's more like with intention, like I am going to do this act of service for my partner, quality time. So it's a lot of effort that can be, put in to make the relationship, you know, meaningful, um, exciting again. And I think that's where it gets hard in the sense of like, it didn't used to feel like so much effort before. And it seems like now, as you're talking about being intentional, it seems like, oh, you know, now we have to plan things or schedule things or talk about things very deliberately. Whereas maybe there used to be this spontaneity, this excitement, this, um, inherent almost motivation intrinsic motivation right to want to do things for your partner yeah so it's a natural progression for a relationship to need more work need more effort there is a reward by doing so because the relationship has gone on the next level with even more trust even more meanings to having your lives intertwined that's not necessarily the thing when a couple is in the honeymoon stage. It's just like everything is just like so bubbly. Everything's like, you know, hearts and flowers. But then this doesn't last forever. The natural progression to the next stage is to be more, you know, filled with meanings, filled with trust. You can rely on each other on important things. Yeah, I really like that. I think a lot of the times when people think about this loss of passion, excitement, desire, it's harder to think about seems like the gains, right? Like that you've mentioned of like more trust, more reliability, maybe more security in a sense. Oh, I wouldn't say it's a loss. It's kind of level up. Like, you know, you can still have all the fun stuff, like planning dates, going to camping or things like that. It's level up. See, that's my bias coming into it. I'm like, mm, that's a lot. <laughs> I'm like, at that point, it's time to start a new one. <laughs> but you're right, right? There's still this excitement. You can be more intentional, as you've talked about. And, you know, I want to kind of close out this episode, you know, thinking about what we've talked about today and, you know, how many barriers there are when it comes to relationships and seeking couples therapy as a support. And I wonder if you have any tips for you know any couples or anyone in a relationship that might be considering couples therapy or are just in general going through relational difficulties. The number one thing I want to say is that relationships are hard. Even if you like, sometimes you might feel like you have put a lot of effort, like you try your best, but still things are not working out. It's hard because 
with involves two people and you bring in so much into the room. But I'm hopeful because, you know, if you are in this relationship, you want to improve, you want to um, have a better relationship, then there are things you can do. I think nowadays there are a lot of like seminars that couples would attend to kind of as a group, they learn new things and they, they do exercises to strengthen the relationship and i think that's one thing and then the other thing is you know couples therapy don't hesitate to reach out and try it at least and see what it can bring you but then more like besides those i think uh concrete tips i think just try actively listen to each other take turns talking we teach children like you know taking turns like don't interrupt each other oftentimes adults forget to do that <laughs> so i think back to the basics like just listen to each other make each other feel heard i think that even though it's so simple but it prevents the spiraling down in a negative way very effectively because oftentimes if we're not actively listening to each other we automatically make assumptions and assumptions create like you know feelings and it just continues on and on try the initial step listen to each other okay yeah i really love what you had to say and i, I think this hopefulness almost feels so infectious because we started talking about kind of these misconceptions of couples therapy be of kind of the stigma around it and you know this idea that people come into couple therapy because there's an issue and through this conversation I feel like I've learned a lot in the sense of like oh it's almost like well no the couple therapy is a tool for you to like build deeper connection right to find more ways to feel good and improve on this relationship that you really want Mm -hmm. And in part of destigmatizing it is being able to seek help, being able to have seminars and attend seminars with couples, right? Because even as you were talking about it, I even got like this automatic thought of like, oh, those are for people with issues, right? Like, why would you be looking into a seminar if you don't have issues? And I'm like, okay, there's, there's a lot of stigma. <laughs> But that's why I'm so happy to be able to have this conversation with you, Jesse. And if anyone is seeking couples therapy services with you, where can they go? They can just kind of go to the Yellow Chair website and the team section, and they can see all the therapists uh, on our team that some provide couples therapy, some don't. Yeah, they can just access it through the website. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking your time and sharing your wisdom with us here today. I hope we all have better relationships on the horizon. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So much fun talking to you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. To learn more and support our work, follow us on our Instagram or Facebook at Yellow Chair Collective. If you are looking for individual, couples, or family therapy in California, check out our website, yellowchaircollective.com, to see our services and clinicians. If you're outside of California, we also host a variety of virtual mental health groups that you might be interested in joining. If you really enjoy our podcast, feel free to message us to let us know or leave us a review on any of the podcast platforms. Thank you again and have a peaceful week ahead.